I'm a sinner. My name's Sandra. I have been saved by grace. Uh, we're reading from Genesis 6, 1 to 8. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them close, uh, any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nathalian were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them, but Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. May the Lord bless this reading. Well, I'm Adrian, I'm the pastor here and people don't like to think that I'm a sinner so I'm not a sinner, but that's a lie so I'm a sinner. It's funny how we can make light heart of sin, isn't it? Well, praise be to God for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, as you can hopefully see, this passage is full and it's got some big statements so we're going to look at that this morning. I, uh, I want you to join with me in prayer. And I just want to welcome you if you are visiting. Uh, it's, welcome. it's wonderful to have you with us. So let's pray and we're going to have a look. And I encourage you uh, to have your Bibles open. It's always good for you to be following in the Word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that there's some very clear statements about the state of humanity as we come to chapter 6 of Genesis Father God, thank you for the journey we've been on in Genesis, the challenges it brings. And now as we come into this very central part of this area, Lord, we pray that you will bless us. Help us not to skirt around the issue. Help us not to uh, deny the issue. Uh, but Father God, help us to embrace the fact that you are sovereign, that you are gracious and that you are loving. You are slow to anger, you are compassionate and you are abounding in love. And as we come into this text, knowing all that, Lord, Help us to be challenged, but also encouraged in many ways. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, there's a university, Australia University, and uh, a number of years ago, uh, they set up a chalkboard uh, in, in New York. And uh, on it, they just wrote the, on the top of it, uh, what is your biggest regret? And they left some chalk and they left a camera that was filming it, or they filmed it, and people came along all day, and they started writing down uh, what their regrets were. Now, it attracted many people, and it was filled by the end of the day, 
And some of the regrets were, and there is a video on YouTube, I didn't, there's reasons, I, for copyright reasons, I couldn't show it, but you can watch it on YouTube. And there was, I regret burning bridges, I regret never speaking up, I regret not being a good husband, I regret not spending time with family, I regret not saying I love you, I regret never applying to med school, I regret not making the most of every day, I regret not being a better friend. Now on the video, there's one man that comes up, and I, I think for me this was quite an impact, and he looked like he was, I don't know if he was employed as a cleaner, but he, was, he had what looked like cleaning stuff, and he was going around the streets cleaning. And he wrote there, I regret staying in my comfort zone. See, I think, uh, I think it highlighted that despite uh, we have our mugs and our T-shirts and we have our have our big uh, statements of live life with no regrets. Regrets are very central and basic to our uh, reality as human beings. Um, the board was mainly filled with things people didn't do. They regretted things they hadn't done. But regrets also include things that we have done that we wish we hadn't done. We don't tend to admit to those so often. Uh, but we also know that the things that we regret make us who we are and they bring us to where we are now or they keep us where we are now. See, regret's often a, a feeling that feeds on itself. And if you think about it, when you say, I regret I didn't do this, you never really know if you would have regretted doing it anyway. So it's like that movie Sliding Doors, I think it's called. You know, you've got two choices and you can go through or not go through. Do you jump through? Do you catch the train, not catch the train? Did it make all the difference? Well, you never know whether you would have regretted doing it even if uh, you didn't do it. See, regrets are a part of the human experience. But have you ever considered that God has regrets? See, this morning we're faced with the reality of God's greatest regret. And as, sound, as, as sad as it sounds, we're told here that God's greatest regret is creating humanity. Have a look at our verses uh, 6 and 7. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. So the Lord has regrets, and his greatest regret is creating humanity. So there's three things we're going to consider today. Firstly, we're going to consider what is regret. We're just going to have a look at that for a little bit. Then secondly, we're going to, we're going to look at why is humanity the Lord's greatest regret. And thirdly, and I think most importantly, can a relationship move forward if it's filled with regret? So what is regret? Well, the Oxford English Dictionary says that it's a feeling of sadness or disappointment over an occurrence or something that one has done or failed to do. And we've briefly looked at that. Uh, regret's tied to a negative emotion. Sadness, disappointment, a sense of loss, grief. It's a quality unique to humans. I doubt there's animals that have regret. But it's also an emotion 
that is tied to God. So uh, having, uh, having looked at that over the past few weeks, I would say that it's likely tied to the fact that we are made in the image of God. Now, before I became a pastor, I wasn't a train driver, but before I became a pastor, I used to work in the city. I used to catch a train every morning and every afternoon. Uh, and I'm so glad I just walk next door now. It's so much easier. Uh, but announcements used to be made on the platform. So for those of you who have caught trains in the past, uh, when I was still working, uh, it was still made by a human. And so the person that was working on the platform would announce that a train was late, uh, and would often make an apology for that delay, and sometimes they would say, uh, we regret the inconvenience. Now, while it was frustrating, and while you got angry, it was still a human that was saying that to you. Now, I distinctly remember it was in a period where trains were late every day. It was a nightmare. It was just awful period. And there was people everywhere on the platforms and they moved from a human announcing it to an automatic announcement. And effectively, it affected every train, so they just pressed the button. Now, I don't know, I don't catch trains very often now, but uh, I still remember it went like this. This is how often it happened. It went, the next train scheduled to arrive on platform six is running 10 minutes late. City Rail regrets the inconvenience. Now, I remember the first time I heard that. That irked me. It still irks me to think about that. Firstly, no one on the platform cared if City Rail regretted the fact that I was standing there. They should have been apologising. That's the first thing they should have been doing. But secondly, how can an automated voice announce regret? It's a human emotion. The computer couldn't have regret. And I can tell you, the person sitting on the platform pressing the button, well, it wasn't really expressing uh, their feeling. They were just happy that they didn't have to announce it anymore. And I can say, tell you that the, the institution of city rail can't feel regret. And those responsible for me being so late, well, they're up in their offices. They're probably at home because they get a parked car and they're at home eating dinner while I'm waiting on the platform. Well, I can guarantee that as this announcement's going on, they've got no idea what's happening to me and they don't feel regret. See, regret is something that has to be felt. At least when a human announces that they regret the inconvenience, you can pick up whether they really mean that in their voice. See, regret is a human experience. It's part of us being are human, but it's also experienced by the personal God with whom we have a relationship, with whom who has created us. So in this way, regret is probably tied to our image as made in the image of God. See, regret's not only found in this passage, though. I know I'm harbouring on this a little bit, but it's good for us to understand that this is a real emotion that God's going through. It's found in 1 Samuel, the Lord regretted making Saul the first king of Israel because of his heart. The Apostle Paul acknowledged in 2 Corinthians he regretted sending them the previous letter, but he doesn't regret it now because it led to a godly grief that produced repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Now that's a bit confusing, but regret is part of the Bible. So regret is certainly something the Bible acknowledges. 
It's an experience of God. It's an experience of humanity. And it's related to a sense of loss. It's a negative feeling. And it's uh, something that we have or haven't done. So there's regret in a nutshell. So why is creating humanity the Lord's greatest regret? Well, have a look at verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the heart was only evil all the time. Now I want you to notice the contrast that's happening here in Genesis 1 and 2. Each day that God created, he finished with, he saw that it was good. At the end of all creation he saw that it was very good. And what, what God created was meant to continually produce or create other things that were good. And the reason for that was the creation, that be it the land that would produce good fruit, or be it humanity that would produce more good humanity in their perfection, would go through the earth, subdue it, and be fruitful and multiply, was to bring great glory to God because the goodness of God was reflected in the goodness of his creation. But now we are told the heart of humanity is inclined to evil all the time or continually. See, in fact, the word here for inclination means shaping. And it's the same word that's used back in Genesis 2, 7 to 8, when we have that image of God forming the man out of the dust of the ground, shaping a man. It is the same word. And the idea is he shaped the man out of the dust of the ground in order to then go and produce good from their heart, with a good heart, with uh, everything that's perfect. But now we're said that the heart is continually shaping the very opposite to what it was created for, and that is evil. In the 1940s, there was a graduate uh, student at the University of Illinois in the US named Arthur Golston. Now, he was working on a way to make soybeans grow faster in climates which had a smaller window for the harvest. So he, he was trying to put together a, a, a fertiliser or something which was going to help them uh, grow really fast. And he had success with something called 235. Now, I've tried to name this. I've been over it a thousand times in my head. I can't do it. Triodobenzoic uh, acid. Uh, the only danger he discovered when he created this was if you put too much on, it actually killed the crop. So you had to do it in a very extreme moderation. Well, the intention was to create good, was to produce more food for the communities, more food for the world, and uh, help the farmers. And then the Vietnam War came, and the US Air Force decided to use it. And what they did is they would dump a whole heap of this all over the fields in Vietnam to kill all the food and kill all the uh, vegetation so that the enemy couldn't hide and they had no food to eat in the jungle. But it turned out that as they dumped it all, it also killed humans. 
It became known as Agent Orange. I'm sure most of you have heard of that. See, it was created for something good, but now was used for the exact opposite. And here we've been told humanity was created to produce good, but it was now only shaping evil all the time in its heart. And that is the ravages of sin, and God deeply regrets creating humanity. Now, the first four verses are really a detailing of the extent of how this has come to be. Just to give an example of what that means to have evil in the heart. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time in there, but I know that if I don't talk about this, it's the very thing you want to talk about. It's got uh, images of the Nephilim uh, and the the sons of uh, gods uh, uh, marrying daughters of humans. And so we're going to look at this briefly, and I'm just going to read those uh, first four verses. And it says, When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, When the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and they had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. Now where it says in verse 2 that uh, the sons of God God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, um, it's a little misleading, I think. Now the expression here is similar to the expressions elsewhere in the Old Testament when it talks about the company or the the group of a certain type of people. Uh, For example, in 2 Kings 2-3, we are told the company of prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha. Now, this is the same expression. It doesn't mean anything to do with progeny or parentage. Uh, God here is the little G gods, if you like. So this is really saying the company of supernatural beings, the company of divine beings. Now, they're not divine in the sense of how God is divine, but it's talking about supernatural beings, but it's not talking about the sons of God. It's talking about the company of these divine supernatural beings. It would be um, similar to the references in the books of Kings about the heavenly armies. And now we're told that they gazed on the daughters of humans and they liked what they saw. Now, why wouldn't they, hey? Why wouldn't they like what they saw? And, uh, and notice the irony here, though. Now, the word here for beautiful is, in fact, the word good. Now, it would have contained something of their physical appearance. They saw that they were good, pleasing to the eye, But it's more than that. When these spiritual beings looked upon the daughters of men, they saw them as good in the sense of how God created all things good without sin. Yet here, we're also told that when God looked upon humanity, he saw their hearts. See, these other divine beings didn't have 
the, 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 the power of God and was not able to see into the heart. All they saw was what they thought was good. And there's a real irony going on here. Now beyond that, however, it's also saying that where it says uh, married, well, you can discard that word because that's not there at all. Um, it's better the idea of they took or they, 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 they begot or get, got, get, uh, that kind of thing. But it's not a forceful term. So I think sometimes when we read this passage, we think that by force they went and took these women and the women were helpless victims. But that's not actually the force of this passage. Now just hang with me because I want to tie it into what I said previously. What it's saying, and we would say this in our time, is the women consented to these marriages. Now the force in these first four verses is saying that the heart of humans was so bad that even the women were consenting to marrying or being with creation that they weren't designed to be with. Man and woman would become one, one flesh. And now they are having relations outside of the design of God's design. Now we can relate to that in our day today. We can relate to that in how the, 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 the sin in our heart expresses outside of God's design in many ways. But the force of these ver first four verses is actually to help us understand just how bad things have got. That the, that the, 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 the super supernatural beings and the created humanity were now, uh, were now having relations. And then we have the Nephilim. Now, the word Nephilim is derived from the word fallen. And there's also a reference here in number, uh, in, uh, further on in Numbers 13.33. Now, some of you have heard that these are fallen angels, but I think there's too many dots that have been put together there. We don't know a great deal about the Nephilim. To say they're fallen angels, I think, takes it a step too far from what the text... This is a real side note to the text here. This is not the point of the text. This text isn't saying, well, this is who the Nephilim were. It is just saying, oh, this is the day when the Nephilim were on the earth. You know, the heroes of old, the men of renown. Now, I do think they are related to the, uh, to, to the supernatural beings. They are supernatural in sense. And they also, we know that they were, uh, they were large in stature, like giants. Just as Goliath was called a giant, but he wasn't a Nephilim. What we do know is this is talking of a time before they were wiped out and the emphasis here is on the fallenness of humanity intertwined with these fallen beings. And it's so great that it will take a flood to cleanse the earth uh, of all that's going on, the extent. Now I'm not answering all your questions but that's where I'm going to leave it as far as uh, these interesting uh, ideas around the Nephilim 
and the sons of God or the, the company of the supernatural beings that were on the earth. So God regrets creating humanity because the extent of sin is beyond even our comprehension. Our hearts, they were shaping evil all the time. I don't even think we can grasp how the extent of that. So the question we're left with is, can a relationship move forward if it's filled with such regret? Is there any way forward when things have got this bad? Well, for God it can, and the fact that we're all sitting here is obvious uh, that something's happened. Uh, but we see this in verse 8. Let me just read to you verse 8. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. So was it that fortunately God looked around and there was a good man, someone who had a good heart? Good enough to carry on God's requirement for living? Well, I don't think that's the case here. Um, and I think the clue is in this word for favour. It isn't that Noah was favourable. It's that God poured out his favour upon Noah. Now, I don't know if you've ever done the pay it forward thing. It seemed to, everyone was doing it a couple of years ago. Uh, it's where, example, you might go through McDonald's drive through and you pay for your meal and then you say, I'd like to pay for the meal of the person behind me. And you just pay for their meal. And then they get to the window and they're like, what do you mean? Well, the person in front's paid for you. And what's the first question? Well, why? Why did they do that? There must be a reason. There must be some reason why they've paid for my meal. I don't think I even know them. See, what you've done is exercised favour upon them. You could have paid for anyone's meal. Anyone at all. But you have chosen them at that moment to exercise your favour upon. They didn't deserve it. They did nothing. You don't barely know who they are. You wouldn't even know who they are. But you have chosen them and you've exercised your favour upon them. And I believe that's what's happening here. Noah found that God's favour was upon him. God didn't find that Noah was favourable. God exercised favour upon Noah. And the context tells us we have just been told that all of humanity's hearts were shaping evil all the time. So there wasn't one man named Noah who didn't fit that category and therefore uh, we were able to start again. Now, this is an exercise of God's grace. Now, perhaps you remember back in Genesis 4, there's also an emphasis on favour. Remember when we talked about uh, Abel presented his first fruits and God looked upon it with favour. Uh, Cain presented his not-so-first fruits and God did not look upon it with favour. Now that seems like, well, you do something and that determines whether God looks upon favour. Well, there's a distinct difference in these two texts. In chapter 4, 
The word used for favour in chapter 6 does not exist there. We're talking about two entirely different things. In fact, back in chapter 4, when it says God looked on favour, really all it says is God looked towards the offering of Abel. He turned away from the offering of Cain. It's not using the word for favour here, which in the Greek translation is the same word for grace, charis. And so you're, we've, got a, we've got a very distinction. So we've got to be careful here not to look back at Genesis 4 and go, well, Noah must have earned favour because Cain and Abel did. That's not what's happening here. God is exercising his grace, his favour upon Noah. And it's nothing that Noah has done. And we'll see it again when he uh, chooses Abraham in chapter 12. And we see it over and over. Uh, throughout the Old Testament. No one earns the favour of God, but God exercises the favour. Why? Because he has created humanity, he has committed to humanity, he loves humanity, and he will do all it takes, even if he regrets it, to move forward in this relationship with humanity. And what's the key to moving forward? Grace. Not expecting the other person to earn what they cannot earn. Not holding them to account beyond what they can do. But there still needs to be a punishment for that. And so the flood comes and the cross comes. But that doesn't undermine the love and grace that God has. See, grace is an undeserved gift. Grace is a commitment that is willing to wear the pain on behalf of the other party. Even when you regret something, grace will accept that the reality is here and it will persevere in the relationship for restoration. And we see it all culminating on the cross of Christ. God regrets, but he also loves And that love is committed to his people despite the realities of their hearts. I want to read you from uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, 8 to 10, sorry. That's 2 Timothy 1, 8 to 10. Sorry if that's a bit small. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and has brought life and immorality to light through the gospel. See, there's a, there's a real powerful uh, introduction to grace that's happening back in Genesis. It is revealing God's fullness of his commitment. And it, it, when he mentions 120 years, we often think, oh, that means that we now only live to 120 years. What he's actually saying is that 
the time of all humanity, you have 120 years left. And then I'm going to wipe you from the face of the earth. He's referring to all humanity. But then he exercises grace upon Noah. Despite the righteous judgment to destroy us, his love has overpowered that justice and has conquered that justice by demonstrating his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, this is, this is the gospel right at the beginning of the whole of Scripture. At the beginning of humanity, we see the gospel over and over again. Our hearts are not righteous. They are not worthy. But God exercises his grace, his love, and he gifts Noah. And we see Noah respond to that gift with great faith by building an ark. He doesn't earn God's favour with the building of the ark. He responds to God's favour with the building of the ark. So I guess the question I want to ask you this morning, what are your regrets? What is it that you wish you have do had done which you haven't done? What is it that you have done that you wish you hadn't done? See, one of the great things of the gospel is God deals with our regrets. And in many respects, he's dealt with his own regrets. He regretted creating humanity. But by Jesus' death on the cross, the restoration of our relationship with him means that it's restored into the fullness that he created it to be. And even beyond that, to bring him greatest glory. And as we wait for the Lord Jesus to come, we no longer have to live with the regrets of our sin. Perhaps your regrets relate to sin. Well, you can bring those to God and ask forgiveness, knowing that his favour is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And you can be released of that with no more guilt or shame. Or perhaps it's with other people. Perhaps you're harbouring bitterness or resentment. I did know someone, and I've known a few people, who regretted having children early in life. And they seem to resent that because they didn't get to live life as they thought they could have. There's something, there's something wrong with that if that's harbouring bitterness and resentment towards your children or others or life or God. We need to come and ask forgiveness of that. Or perhaps you just regret the, the life choices you've made with your career or whatever it might be. Or maybe you're at a stage where you're looking back on your life and you're thinking, as someone uh, said to me that I think is one of, the, one of my greatest mentors who once said to me, he goes, I look at my time and I wonder if I've achieved anything. And I think he's, he's, he's one of the most brilliant men I know. So we all do this. 
Well, I think you need to bring those to God and entrust them to him, knowing that your, your life's been in his hands. I think regret is, helps us to know that maybe we, we're human, but I think in the end, regret really does just feed into a resentment and a bitterness if we don't have a way of releasing it. So I encourage you to make peace with where you are in your, in your life today. Trusting it all to God, knowing he's got you right here. And committing the rest of it to him. And don't, don't be stoic and say, I'm going to live with no regrets and just try to do better. No, live with no regrets because you know that you've been forgiven. You've been set free and God's favour is upon you. And so you can look forward to the future with great anticipation, with great hope, and even with great courage and potential, regardless of where you are, simply because you know that your past is forgiven and the future, whatever it holds for you, can be even better than the past. So let me encourage you, just as God exercises grace, forgiveness and love, to exercise grace, forgiveness and love towards each other. Well, let's pray. Father God, we, we come before you and it's not easy to hear that we are your greatest regret. But Lord, we know you've gone beyond that. We know that you are here amongst us and we know that you have, you have loved us uh, fully, unconditionally, that we can move on in a relationship even with regrets because... It's about love, Lord, and your love has, has moved through this regret to conquer sin and death, to conquer all that we have brought to this relationship because you have committed to us, you have brought uh, your complete love and forgiveness and mercy and grace and compassion into this relationship. And Father God, we can now look to you with great confidence and we don't have to have regrets, Lord. And I pray that we'll be able to release the bitterness and any resentment that we may have. But Father God, help us to be focused on the future. Help us not to look back. Help us to be able to wait for anti in anticipation for what you have for us. Help us to do that with courage and help us to know that you are the one who sets our paths. You have us right here now and you have our future in your hands. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.